Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. Before we get going, um, this day marks the 15th anniversary of 9-11, and um, most of us can remember where we were on that day 15 years ago. Um, remember when we, when we first heard the news and then watched our TVs and looked on in kind of in shock and horror, uh, but then also, all, also had witness to stories of great bravery and courage and a unity that drew our country together. Um, and I don't know what your experience with 9-11 was. If you were close to it, a number of people uh, were directly affected by the loss of life and the anguish and the horror around it. Some of us felt the crumbling of security that we have always felt like we, as a nation, were secure, and um, you know we had we stood on our own two feet. And 9/11 was this like almost almost symbolic representation of we're not as secure as we thought we were. And wherever you were, um, um, for most of us, that moment is kind of marked in our memory. And I think it would be a good good time now just to take a moment in quiet to pray, and uh, in the quiet, I, would, I want you to pray for, um, for gratitude for the bravery that we saw. I want you to pray for our leaders uh, as they have led through this, and even now, um, our leaders who are doing their best job um, with faults, but they are leading um, a daunting task in a, a country that is, is hard to lead. And I want you to pray for humility in our leaders and in us um, and pray for the kind of security that we can only find in God, uh, that we wouldn't put up false idols of national security as our final resting place. Um, so let's just take a few moments and pray like that. Father, we continue to call your name. We know that you are the God who, uh, whether we are um, filled with blessings in this life or are down in the depths of pain and tragedy, we know that you are a God who can use that, who can redeem that, who can redeem us. And we pr- we pray, Father, for people who are still hurting, who will always hurt in this life because of that day 15 years ago. And we pray for us for that kind of humility that it takes um, to live with others in mind, to not, to not just seek our own advantage, but to live our life spent for others. Would you use this day as a reminder of how you call us to give? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, 
Um, I grew up uh, listening to and hearing and watching stories being told of great adventure. Um, whether it was uh, my dad telling stories around the campfire and us begging him uh, to tell another one, and we couldn't believe where he pulled that out of, and I think neither could he. Um, or The Hobbit, um, or other stories where people wake up and realize the life that they've been living is, uh, has been completely false, and their eyes are no open now to the true reality of who they are and what they need to do. There, has, there is something enchanting about a story of journey, about a story of leaving home and leaving the contentedness and settledness and the safety and security of home and going on a journey for a cause that is greater than you. And that doesn't always happen in my life. Like, I get content to just listen to the stories. I get content to stay on my couch and watch stories happen of other people, uh, fictional or non-fictional. But sometimes it's, um, it, it kind of drives in this question, what if this is what God has for us? What if he wants to open our eyes to a bigger story of what is going on? What if he wants to open our eyes to say, I want to get off the couch. I want to leave security as that may not even make sense. And I want to go off into the unknown knowing that if I'm, if I'm only just following God, That'll be okay. That's, that's what we're heading into. That's what we're heading into in this new series starting today. The idea that uh, God is at home. And we are living in a very distant land. We are living in a land that is far from God. And while he is here with us, we are far from home. And God shows up in our lives, and he has showed up in the lives of people throughout the Bible, and he has called them to leave what they know, to come and follow him on an adventure, on a journey, so that they can come home. And we're calling this series The Far Country, because we want to always be reminded this world is not our home. This world is not where we put our ultimate security. We want to uh, we want to have our eyes set on God and follow him wherever he would lead, even if we don't know the way. I think, I think God has great things in store. Oh, so, so this Sunday, right now, today, begins a journey that we're taking uh, for the next seven or eight weeks. We're going to be in this series called The Far Country, and it's about uh, the point of the series is almost a negative point. It's the, I need to let go. Not even so much tell me what to do, but tell me what to stop clinging to. Tell me how, to, how, how are we supposed to do that. This is going to lead into a four-week series on mission where we as a church start to say, okay, so now what do we do? And that leads into a series on the Holy Spirit because um, we believe we can't let go and we can't grab onto something else. Uh, and follow God without him empowering every step of the way, without him in our lives. And so we want to take some extended time through the months of November through January and say, who is the Holy Spirit? What does he want to do in my life? And how does he meet me there? And 
I'm so excited for this journey that we start right now. Right now, looking back through the pages of the Bible. So as we go through the far country, we're going to start today looking at Abraham. And then we're going to look at Moses. Tim Dunn is going to preach on Moses um, being a foreigner in a foreign land, leading foreigners to another place, and how, how we live as displaced people. We're going to talk about Jeremiah, we're going to talk about Daniel, we're going to talk about Jesus, and we're going to talk about Paul. Because each one of them have this vision to say, I will not settle here. I will keep my eyes where God calls them to be, and I will follow him wherever he leads. So that's where we're going. That's where we're jumping into today with Abraham. And at this point in Abraham's story, he was still going around uh, by the name Abram. So if that's a little bit confusing when the name Abraham doesn't show up in the text, Abram becomes the man that we know as Abraham. And that has yet to happen. So let's jump in uh, to Genesis 12, where uh, the far country really starts to take off. Genesis 12, starting in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make, you, I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you... All the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went. And the story continues. But that's what we want to focus in on today. Let's pray. Father, would you open our ears to hear from you? Me and all of us. That we would hear from you what it looks like to answer your call. What it looks like to let go. Would you humble us so that we can hear and then uh, fill us with the kind of passion that it takes to follow? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I just want to back up a little bit and give you a little bit of context. The Bible is written on purpose. The Bible is not an accidental uh, kind of conglomeration of random stories. The Bible is written on purpose. So what happens right before Genesis 12? It's Genesis 11. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Are we good? We're clear? We're still up? So Genesis 11 starts with a story of people all in one place saying, let's get together. Let's build a great city that reaches up to the heavens with a great tower, and let's make a name for ourselves. And Babel in Genesis 11 is like the perfect illustration of what your parents told you when you were growing up. You can do anything you put your mind to. Because they were on track to having a great dream and fulfilling it on their own. If God had let them and not intervened. And God, it says, looks down from heaven and says, they've written me out of their story. They'll succeed in whatever they want to do, and yet in succeeding, they won't find life. And so I'm going to squash that plan so that they have a chance at finding me. They said, let's build a great city. Let's settle here, 
and build a name for ourselves. And God says, let's write a different story. In Genesis 12, we're introduced to Abram, and God has this uh, counter picture in mind. I don't want you to settle. I want you to leave. And I don't want you to build a name for yourself. I'm going to give you a new name. God changes Abram's name to Abraham, and he says, your name will become known in all the world. You will become known as the father of many nations. And today we know it's true. Religions of all kinds of backgrounds trace their history back to Abraham. And what God said is still coming true. And Abraham went. So God tells Abraham to go to a far country, to one where he didn't even know the way. And he said, Abraham, I am the way. I want you to follow me. The destination, the, the country that you're going to, the land you're going to, is not the destination I want you to set your sights on. I want you to set your sights on the destination of me. And I want you to follow me wherever I lead. And Abraham believed God. And he went. And in his going, he earned himself the name Father of Faith. So he shows up in Hebrews 11 as uh, this hall of faith, heroes of the Old Testament who believe God. And Abraham is at the top of that list. He believed and he acted on it. Now, I think we have a misunderstanding of what belief really is. I think often we think of belief as an intellectual affirmation. I believe in God as if I could pass a test that a teacher gave. But belief, I don't think, has ever uh, only been intended to be a, an intellectual deal. Belief is meant to be something that encompasses all of who we are. So Abraham believes and he follows God. He believes and he acts on it. And so you could say it almost the reverse way. Without obedience, faith doesn't exist. That's how Michael Leeson put it. He's preaching over at West today on the same deal. Without obedience, faith doesn't really exist. You cannot say you really believe in God and then not follow him. Abraham is a picture of belief because he knew it and then he lived it. He lived it out. For Abraham, going meant leaving. Following meant leaving. And here's what, here's what God pulled away from Abraham. First, he pulled Abraham away from his possessions. Abraham is the firstborn in his family, and an inheritance is coming to him. What will be passed down to Abraham when he stays there is uh, security for him. And God calls to leave his inheritance behind, to leave your family behind. And so possessions for Abraham became this thing of letting go. He called him to leave his position. His, uh, in our culture, we don't know much about uh, familial position because of our rugged independence. But in a community-based um, culture, being the eldest son was a position that was highly regarded. And God told Abram, says, I, I want you to let that go. I don't want you to be Abram, your father's oldest son anymore. I want you to be Abram, my follower. And I want you to follow after me. So his possessions, his positions, his dreams, because I will bet you, 
I will bet you as Abraham is growing up and now as a man, he looks to his home country and he sees his family and he sees the places that he has grown up around and he has dreams of the future built on the past. You know what that's like? You grow up in a place and everything is very, very familiar. And so when you picture your life into the future, you picture it with what you know. And God says, I want you to take your dreams and I want you to leave them. I want you to give them up to follow me. So his possessions, his positions, his dreams, and even his relationships. So Abraham is called to leave his family, leave his relatives, leave the people he knows, and move on to a new place. And he does in Genesis 12. And God said, at that time, Abram and Sarah uh, didn't have any kids. Uh, she was barren. She couldn't have kids, is what the Bible tells us. And God says, I will make you a father of many nations. Abram's like, I'm doing the math, and I don't see it happening. And yet I will believe, and I will follow. And then one day, Sarah's pregnant. And they're old. They're like 90s old. Okay? And they see God delivering on a promise. And they are, they're dumbfounded. And they are astonished. They say, God meant it. We believed and he meant it. And Isaac is the son of the promise through whom uh, God would bless nations. And then God says to Abraham in Genesis 22, but I don't want you to cling to Isaac too tightly. In fact, I want you to sacrifice Isaac. And God actually, after, after, after God shows up in Abram's life and says, you don't know me, you worship foreign gods, and there's nothing about you that's like, excellent or praiseworthy, except I'm choosing you. I'm choosing you. And Abraham believed him, and he followed him, and he said, you're going to be a dad, and a dad of dad of dad of dad of dads. And his son shows up, and God says, but I want you to still follow me, and I don't want you to make an idol of any good thing. And that happens. So as a test, I want you to sacrifice Isaac. This is not unheard of in their culture. Gods of many other neighboring cultures uh, demanded child sacrifices, or so people were thinking, and they would do that. And so for God to show up, Abraham doesn't know any better. He doesn't have the Bible as we have it now. He doesn't have anything. He's got God's word. God's speaking to him, and he says, well, if I'm following you, and I believe in you, and you tell me to do this, I'm going to do it. And he puts the wood on his son's back and his son, they take a three-day journey into darkness, up to a hill. And Abraham has the knife in the air before God says, wait, 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 wait. I'm not like other gods. I want you to stop. And I want you to see the difference of who I am compared to where you've left. What you've left behind, I want you to notice. And I want you to see that I'm different. And Abraham passes the test because even his most precious relationships, he holds loosely. And he says, God, you can have 
You can have my possessions. You can have my positions. You can have my dreams and you can have my relationships. All of that is yours. What makes this separation possible is that it's not chiefly a separation from. It is especially a separation to. A separation to God. If we think about all the things that God could have us leave behind, that gets real painful real quick. And God wants us to see, I don't want you to just let stuff go. I want you to cling to me. You get me, and you get my promise, Abraham. And it's worth it. Well, God does this for us, too. We hold stuff too tightly in our possessions. Anything with a price tag, stuff, we hold on to things really tightly. Listen to this quote by A.W. Tozer that uh, Charles Swindoll quotes, because I love the perspective on stuff. He says, Before the Lord God made man upon the earth, he first prepared for him by creating a world of useful and pleasant things for his sustenance and delight. In the Genesis account of the creation, these are called simply things, They were made for man's uses, but they were meant always to be external to the man and subservient to him. In the deep heart of man was a shrine where none but God was worthy to come. Within him was God. Without, a thousand gifts which God had showered on him. Our woes began when God was forced out of his central shrine and things were allowed to enter. Within the human heart, things have taken over. God has all of this good stuff for us in life. But we run into trouble when we remove God from the center of our lives and we put that stuff in there as the stuff that's most dear to us. And even if we wouldn't acknowledge that, the way we behave sometimes betrays us. Stuff is way too important. And living for the far country, living a life following God, means loosening our grip on our possessions. When it comes to positions, this is uh, not just so much the positions in your job, but when our positions become our identity. Kids are asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? And we've trained them to think occupation. And so what, what, are the kind, what kind of person do you want to be? Who do you want to be? Not just what do you want to do. So I'll, I'll stand up here and tell you, I, I don't primarily describe myself as a pastor. I don't want that to be who I am. Because if God someday took that away, I still want to be me. I don't want to be broken by a change of address. You know what I mean? If God took away your job or he took away a title that you have, would you be okay? Or would you be crushed by that? Because a feeling of, I I would be lost and I don't know what I would do at a core place of your identity is a sign that you hold position too tightly. 
And living for the far country means that we loosen our grip on our positions. Our dreams, we make plans for, those life, for this life, and sometimes those plans get interrupted. And we have to ask the question, is our dream our idol? Is, what, is it what we worship? Is the future and our dreams for the future what we give ourselves wholly to? And we shouldn't stop dreaming. We shouldn't be just like, okay, I guess I shouldn't have any kind of dreams or any kind of desires for my life because God should just steal those and he could make me submit those to him. The point isn't to stop dreaming. The point is to hold the dreams loosely so that God can either choose to make them come true or give us a new dream. He doesn't want to kill our dreams. He wants to open our eyes to dreams that fit with him. So living for the far country means loosening our grip on our dreams. Our possessions, our positions, our dreams, and even our relationships. And for me, this is the one that stings real, real hard. Friends, best friends, relatives, parents, and even children. God actually calls us to hold them loosely. Romances that are now flourishing may wither. Partnerships that seem solid may fracture. Friends die. Roommates move out. Neighbors move on. Coworkers follow callings elsewhere. None of those relationships are strong enough to occupy the place that only God can. This doesn't mean that we don't hold close our loved ones, that we don't do a good job in our relationships. But it means we don't make idols of our relationships. We don't put anybody up on a pedestal. And we don't hold too tightly and wrap our identity around that. Because should something change, whether out of blessing or out of horror, God is still with us. And we are still called to follow him on an adventure. And he's not done. Living for the far country means loosening our grip on our relationships. Human instinct would have us clutch the things that we adore most. And releasing them, presenting them to God, requires that we trust him to do what is right. I love what Jim Elliot said. Jim Elliot, a famous missionary who gave his life to reach people for God, to help people understand that God was calling them to home, to the far country, to him. Jim Elliot said, He is no fool who gives away what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. We hold so tightly the stuff that we will never be able to hold on forever. And if we're able to hold that loosely and cling to God, whom we can never lose, that is a worthwhile endeavor. That is a worthwhile pursuit. Hebrews 12.2 says Jesus did this. That Jesus got off his throne and came here and endured the cross. And you know why it says in Hebrews 12.2 that he endured the cross? For joy. 
It says, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross for us, that he got to make an invitation for us to come home. That through his joy and through his sacrifice, God is calling your name to come home, to follow him, to not be content to settle in a place that will fade, but to, to follow him into a place that will never fade, in a relationship with him that will never grow old, that will never die, in a place called heaven, that one day, one day we will find ourselves in, in perfect peace and in perfect harmony and in perfect joy without any of the brokenness. But it starts now with how we believe and how we follow. His joy was welcoming us back home. He came for you. He's calling you. So will you, will you set off on a journey that begins now with God? Even in this broken world and someday will become fulfilled a place of perfect peace with him. The question is, what do you cling to? What do you cling to? And just like we talked about believing, there is a cycle with God. To say, when God opens my eyes to something, I don't want to just affirm it. I want to believe it, and I want to move on it. Jesus has this invitation where he talks about, I want you to repent. I want you to turn, turn from the life that you've been living, and I want you to believe. It is, I want you to walk out your faith in me daily. What, what is it that I cling to? And what is it that God, if he opened my eyes, could I say, I got to own that. I got to own that, and I want to give it to you because of joy. Because of joy. And sometimes joy is a discipline. But I will follow you, and I will undo my grasp. What is it that you cling to? It's about being honest. What's keeping you back from following Jesus wholeheartedly? What's keeping you back from following him with abandon? Possessions, positions, dreams, relationships. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 Talk about also like the way that sin holds us back. It says, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, like Abraham is one of them, let us, let's throw off everything that entangles us or everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us. So those are good things. It could be good things. Anything that hinders us could be a good thing. And specifically, sin that entangles us. Let's throw off anything that would keep us back. And Hebrews 12, too, says, let's fix our eyes on Jesus. Fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. He's the one who writes our story. That he's the one who came to write this chapter with invitation in our lives. We fix our eyes on him, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. We follow him because of what he gave and who he is and what he now offers. Jesus wants everything. The good news is that his promise is real. 
and it's worthy. God calls us to live above this world, to set our sights above this world. Colossians 3 says we set our sights on the realities of heaven. That is, I don't just live here. I live in a reality that says there is more to this world and I'm going to live with my vision above this world. Hebrews 12, 2 says, let's fix our eyes on Jesus. I don't want to settle here. Whatever in our culture doesn't fit with our citizenship in the far country needs to get axed. But there's more. He's called us to live above the world in our vision, but he's also called us to live deeper than this world does. That we don't just live and coast through. We live to serve. That following Jesus isn't escapism. Following Jesus is not just about, I'm going to follow you because then I get to go to heaven. That's true, and that's part of the story. And that's a beautiful part of the story. But there is a here and now component to following Jesus. They said, I don't want you to abandon the world. I want you to be in the world. I don't want you to be of it. I don't want you to find your identity in the world. I want you to dig deeper, get down under things, and I want you to serve. He called Abraham and he said that through him all nations would be blessed. If Abraham is to be a blessing, he cannot stay. He must depart, cutting the ties that so profoundly defined him. And we are called to loosen our grip, to not be owned by the world so that we can bless the world. So that we can bless the world. If this world is who we are, I don't think we get to really be a blessing. If we are other, and yet we love, and yet we serve, I think that's when we're powerful. We are called to depart, to go on a journey. God is calling us to him. It's as if I could look you in the eyes in the moment that you said you wanted to follow Jesus. I could look you in the eyes and I could say, welcome to the journey. It's a journey that will take your whole life. It's the beginning of what God is going to do in your life. What God will make of you, we don't know. Where God will take you or surprise you, we can't say. But this I do know. And this I do say, God is with you. The adventure awaits. Are you in? Do you feel content to settle? Or do you feel a stirring in you to get on the journey, to answer his calling your name? Billy Graham is a man who spent uh, years and years and years of his life inviting people to hear God call their name. And in his crusades, he would often go back to a song called I Surrender All. And it's, it's a beautiful song. The lyrics start, All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him. In his presence daily live. All to Jesus I surrender. Humbly at his feet I bow. 
worldly pleasures all forsaken. Take me, Jesus. Take me now. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. So may we be people who loosen our grip on our possessions, our positions, our dreams, and our relationships. May we throw off everything that hinders us and holds us back for living for the, for, for the far country. May we set our sights on the realities of heaven. May we fix our eyes on Jesus. May we see the joy of surrender, of abandoning everything for Jesus. And may we follow Jesus and be a blessing to those around us. Let's pray. Father, it's easy to grasp. Even babies know how to clutch. It's our instinct. We hold on. And so we dare to pray. We dare to ask you to loosen our grip. Would you set our sights on you? Would you set our sights to understand that we are foreigners in this world? that we are sojourners, that we are aliens, that we are, this world is not our true home. Would you give us the strength to let go so that in your strength we can cling to you? Jesus, we love you. Amen. Pleasures all forsaken. Take me, Jesus, take me now. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. So may we be people who loosen our grip on our possessions, our positions, our dreams, and our relationships. May we throw off everything that hinders us and holds us back for living for the, for, for the far country. May we set our sights on the realities of heaven. May we fix our eyes on Jesus. May we see the joy of surrender, of abandoning everything for Jesus. And may we follow Jesus and be a blessing to those around us. Let's pray. Father, it's easy to grasp. Even babies know how to clutch. It's our instinct. We hold on. And so we dare to pray. We dare to ask you to loosen our grip. Would you set our sights on you? Would you set our sights to understand that we are foreigners in this world? that we are sojourners, that we are aliens, that we are, this world is not our true home. Would you give us the strength to let go so that in your strength we can cling to you? Jesus, we love you. Amen. Amen.